My name is Adam. If you're a guest this morning, I'm one of the pastors here at Huntington Community Church. And um, each month we pray for a different uh, country. And one thing that I think is important is that we remember our, our local churches as well. And one church I just want to highlight this morning is uh, First Baptist Ashland. Um, Dustin's already mentioned them. Um, they were a church that was kind of declining and uh, thinking maybe we need to shut our doors and sell our building. First Baptist Canova um, was able to, to step in and help and send them some people and, um, and some resources. And um, they hired a new pastor, and now that church is growing. You see their attendance in the bulletin. Um, they had 72 last week. Um, maybe a year ago, two years ago, they were down to like 25, 30. Um, and that was like 25, 30, not like young families with babies where, you know, you're growing. It was 25 you know, maybe people like in their 80s, and, and so um, um, it's just exciting to see what the Lord's doing there, and actually Andrew, who's normally leading music for us here at our um, congregation, he's actually at First Baptist Ashland this morning leading there, and I just love that, I love that we're at a place um, with our church where Andrew, who's really gifted and skilled, can leave and go play music for them and help that congregation so they can glorify the Lord. While our, you know, we have enough musicians, we have several more uh, musicians that weren't even here this morning, um, and we still had enough musicians. So very thankful for, um, for the band this morning, for playing, and just what the Lord's doing. Um, if you are a guest and you have a child with you, that child, if you're like pre-K to third grade, they can go to class at this time, um, or they can stay with you. We don't mind either way. And uh, just make sure they're signed in, and you will pick them up where you drop them off after the service. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Genesis 3. And as you're turning to Genesis 3, let me, um, let me just mention that opportunity that Dustin um, led us off with this morning with the uh, how to memorize and meditate on Scripture. Um. I think because we have such easy access to the Bible, we don't see the great importance to memorize it. It's on our phone, it's on our iPad, we have many hard copies of it, but there's something about storing it in your heart, uh, that when you're going through a difficult situation, a temptation, God will bring those verses to your mind and help you overcome those temptations. And so I want to... um, personally invite you to that this Wednesday night, and we're going to be looking at how to memorize um, large chunks of Scripture, so like to memorize uh, a, a book of, of the Bible. So if you have 10, 15 minutes a day, you can memorize a book like uh, Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, you can memorize that book in about 10 to 15 minutes a day over the next month, month and a half. Do you realize that? By the end of the summer, you could have a couple books of the Bible memorized with about 10 to 15 minutes a day if you're willing to put forth some effort and be disciplined. Um, Those are hard words for me that put forth effort and discipline. But if you do it, um, you, can, you can memorize books of the Bible. There's, there's people in this congregation right now that have books of the Bible memorized because they've just been disciplined. They've, they've learned these principles. And so 
so that will be part of Wednesday's mem- memorizing the Bible. Memorizing the Bible, that'd be incredible. Memorizing scripture, um, but then also how to meditate on, so how do you pray and just um, pray God's words? How do you meditate on those truths? So exciting times. Um, so Genesis 3. Uh, if I was going to title this, um, it'd be the worst day ever. That would be the name of this sermon, worst day ever. And I want you to think about your worst day ever. What's the worst day you've ever had? Some of you, it could have been like a relational thing, maybe uh, a loss of a loved one. It could be uh, he or she dumped you and you thought for sure this was the one. Um, it, 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 it could be... Um, a job that you really worked hard for and then you were let go from that job. What is your worst day ever? And as you think about the worst day ever, I want you to think about the consequences of those, um, of that day. Uh, when, you know, if you lost a job, then you had impacted family maybe. Um, and, and there's decisions that we make that can lead us to having the worst day ever. Um, you make decisions that could impact other people. I remember my senior year, my second senior year of, uh, of Marshall, and uh, I had uh, three friends. Um, one of them comes here. Sometimes I don't see him this morning, me and a friend, and uh, uh, these two girls, the four of us, we got up early one morning and drove to Kings Island, and they, they, they basically... Um, it was my birthday, and this was their gift to me, was to take me to Kings Island. So we got up early and drove to Cincinnati, went to Kings Island. You know, I don't, can't remember what time it opened, if it was 9 or 10, but we got there like right when it was opening. And um, when you walk in the park, the first ride on the left, at least then, was called Top Gun. And... Uh, and uh, I remember going in, and let's, just, let's ride this ride here. It's the first one we wanted to ride as many things as we could ride that day. And we go in the park, and um, it, it, it had a loop, and I was wearing a, a Yankee hat, which in college I always had my Yankee hat on. And, and so I took it off, and I just kind of sat on it. And um, you, Top Gun is a really simple ride. You just go down a hill, a loop. And then another loop and back up a hill, and then you come back either backwards or forwards, whichever way you didn't ride it. And um, it's a really short ride, just a few seconds. And I, we get off the ride, we're like, yeah, so much fun, can't wait for this day. And, um, and I look down and my hat is gone. What I didn't realize was that the seat for Top Gun, it wasn't like a normal bench. Um, it had a, it had, there was no back to it. And so my hat had fallen out on this ride, and I was obsessed with this hat. I wore it every day. It never left my head. And as we were walking, and, and my friend um, Eric, some of you guys know Eric who's here, just, was just laughing at me because that's how friends do, right? You lost your favorite hat. Ah! And, uh, and I remember walking by, like, like, like looking through the fence, like, where, where is it? It's got to be out there somewhere. And... There it was, right under the first loop. And I thought, I can get that hat. I can be over that fence and back in like 10 seconds. I grew up hopping fences, and I, this, is, this fence is no match for me. 
there was this big sign right in front of me that said, no trespassing, do not climb fence. And, um, and I'll be honest, I was a young Christian at that point, so I should have known better. And I just thought, that's my hat. There's no way that fence is keeping me from my hat. And so I hopped that fence, and I got that hat, and I was back over the fence in you know, about 10 seconds. As I was walking away, the security guard said, hey, excuse me, and he came and grabbed me. And, uh, and um, had a big talk with me about, you know, this sign, that's illegal, that's very dangerous. You know, were you tampering with the tracks? What were you doing over there? Uh, and what I didn't realize was that the, uh, the guy that's starting and stopping the ride Top Gun starts out, you know, you're on a level platform, and they take you back up this hill first. And you're sitting there for a moment, and then they shoot you down the hill, and then you go into the loop. So they had already started the ride. And so people were just kind of, your feet's just kind of dangling. Some of them were backwards. They had to do a uh, 30-minute examination of that track to make sure I didn't tamper with it. So my decision impacted those people up on the hill. For the next 30 minutes, they're just sitting there with their feet like, why can't we start? Why aren't we moving? What's going on? Is this thing broken? And then they also grabbed me and took me. I didn't know this. Maybe you didn't know this, but Kings Island not only has security guards, they also have a police department. It's different, okay? They have guns and everything. They have an interrogation room. I've seen it. Uh, And um, they kept me in there for about an hour. Uh, I don't know why, if that's just tactics, good cop, bad cop, but I was there for about an hour before anybody came to me, had the little, the little mirror, you know, where they're watching me and the little camera, and the table had a box of uh, tissues, so I, I, you know, I was like, what are they going to do to me? Um, finally, they came in and, and really, like, just chewed me out, and they um, had to pay a $100 fine, and I got kicked out of the park for a year. The $100 fine did not hurt that bad, even though it was a lot of money to a college student. Going back out and um, seeing my three friends who had been waiting for me for that little over an hour now, um, and just when I told them, like, I had wasted their hour, you know, hour and a half maybe, and then I told them, like, I'm not allowed to go with you for the rest of the day. I got to go outside the park, and I can't come back for another year. So you guys just enjoy your day. And um, what made it such a hard day for me is they would not stay in the park. They, they were like, no, like, if you can't go, we don't want to go. I'm like, no, please, you're going to make it worse. Just go ride rides. Let me sit out here in the car for the next eight hours. And they're like, no, let's just all go home. I'm like, we've been in the park like 15 minutes. And now we've got to get in the car and drive back to Huntington because I messed up. And, um, and just thinking about, like, when we do something, it makes an impact on others around us. But even though, like, that day it impacted me and, you know, a bunch of people on a ride and three of my close friends at that time, none of us, no matter what day you came up with as your worst day ever, none of us have had a day like this in Genesis 3. This was a day that, have you ever had a day where you said, man, I ruined the world? You may have ruined your world, some other people's world, but the world. That's what happened in Genesis 3. One decision, one act of disobedience changed human history. 
The reason we have sicknesses today, cancers, viruses, the reason we have things like murder, rape, human trafficking, all go back to Genesis 3, the worst day ever. So let's read this passage together. I'm going to stop along the way and exposit some of these verses for us. We're, going, we're just going um, through verse 15 today and really keying in in 1 through 7. But I'll, for context, we'll do to verse 15. And before we um, just read, let me, let me pray um, for this passage. Let me pray for our hearts that we'd hear from the Lord. And let's stop and let's pray for Andrew at First Baptist Ashland and for that congregation as well. Lord Jesus, we just stop and we just, uh, we just want to make sure that we come with a right mind, a right heart to this passage. A very, very familiar passage to those who have been in church. Even to those outside of the church, many of them have heard of the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve. And Father, I pray that you would allow our hearts to hear a very familiar passage with new ears this morning. That you'd help me to preach it with a new, uh, just, just from a new lens, um, maybe with a, just a fresh view this morning. And Lord, we pray right now for um, our sister church, First Baptist Ashton. I pray for Adam Smith as you have brought him to that church to help lead that congregation. I'm thankful for him and his family. Um, to take on such a hard situation. Lord, I'm thankful for Andrew that would be willing to just go down and play music for them today so that they can be able to sing songs to you, sing praises to your name. So we pray for them as they're um, just gathering to meet. Lord, I pray that we would leave this place changed, that we would surrender every area of our life to you, Give us eyes to see, and I pray all this in Christ's name, amen. So last week we wrapped up chapter 2, and um, we saw that God, the pinnacle of creation was woman, that she you know, saved the best for last, and here she was shaped and formed, fashioned, and, uh, and, and God said, now everything is very good, this is beautiful, and um, we saw last week where, where Adam, um, it was not good for him to be alone, that he needed a helper um, for him. And, you know, we made some jokes about that, that all, all women know that every man needs help. And so, like, here's the Lord showing, man, you need some help. And so here's Eve coming along to help Adam um, with the mission that God had given him. And so there's this order. There was God was in control of everything. Uh, he is the authority. He was commanding them what to do, what not to do. is for their good. And, uh, and then he put Adam um, to oversee his family. Uh, so he was leading Eve. And at this time they didn't have kids. And then underneath God, Adam, Eve, there was, uh, he, he commanded them to take dominion over all the earth, over every living thing. And so it was God, Adam, Eve, and creation. 
Um, and we talked about how this was not about value, it's about order. It's not that Adam was more important than Eve, it was just about order. Um, and I've used the military example of that, how in the military there's, there's different ranks and that doesn't make you um, um, more, more valuable, but it's about order. What you're going to see in Genesis 3, you're going to see the order flipped. And so when we start Genesis 3 verse 1, you're going to see the serpent kind of leading everything. How in chapter 1 and 2 you saw God leading. In chapter 3 you're going to see serpent leading. And instead of listening to God's voice, you're going to see them listening to um, the creation's voice. So verse 1 says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And so here's, um, we see that the serpent was a part of creation. Now from all of scripture we can see that the serpent was more than just a snake. This was actually the devil. This was Satan himself. And you have to remember that Satan was created. He's not always been around um, in history past like Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He was a part of creation. And he was very, we see here that he's more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And this is, this is um, basic Satan 101 principles here. He loves to get you to doubt God's word. We just sing a song about God's promises, how he's faithful. He always comes through. And Satan wants you to think that God does not show up, that God does not keep his promises. And this is what, um, how Satan still attacks us today. He wants you to doubt. And so he wants you to question. And so he starts with the question, did God really say? Did God really say that you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? Well, let's see what happens. Verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. All right, let's, let's unpack this. There's a lot, of, a lot of interesting things in here. Uh, she says back, now just for those of you who spent the last two Wednesday nights and we're talking about how to study scripture. And I challenge you guys, put yourself in the story, all right? So put yourself, you're in the garden right now. And now I don't know what this serpent looked like. I don't know how long it was from when she was created and God brought them together where the two shall become one. From that point to this point, I don't know how long it's been. Um, but do, would, would you think it's strange to be talking to a, a serpent, I mean, now, you maybe have not seen every animal, so you think, well, maybe some of them we can have conversations with, but, you know, that's kind of a strange thing that she's having this dialogue with, with this serpent. And then she says something very interesting here. She says, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, if you were just to jump back up in the chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, we can clearly see where God says, do not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Do not eat of it. 
Very clear, black and white, we see it. So, but what we know from, from verse 15, 16, Eve wasn't there yet, right? She's not been formed and fashioned yet. So, it must have been Adam's responsibility to inform Eve of what to do and what not to do. And somewhere along the way, and again, I don't know if this was hours, days, months, but at some point, and I, I think it was probably more on the early bit of time, I don't think they were there long. At some point, Adam had to tell her, do not eat of this tree. See this tree? God said, do not eat of this tree. But somewhere along the way, do you see what they've done? Because this clearly says, God says, do not eat of it. But what does she say? She says, God said, don't eat of it. And what? Neither shall you touch it. Now, God didn't say that. At least, we don't have it. Could God have said that another time, another day? He could have. We don't have all of God's words. All of these words are God's words, but we don't have all of God's words. And so, maybe he, he came another day and, and, and could have said that. I don't think so because of what, what takes place. But I think he gave them more information um, that we don't have. But what we have, um, I think, is enough to, to, to see this and go, there's some problems here. Because in one light, I, I look at this and I think, wow, this is extremely wise. Because what they're doing is they're, they're putting a hedge around the law. And this is wise. Parents, we do this. Uh, parents, we do this with young children. Uh, electrical outlet. If I touch an electrical outlet, will I get shocked? Some of you are not sure, are you? If I just touch the electrical outlet with my hand, will I get shocked? I, I'm not going to get shocked. If I put a fork in it, I'm going to get shocked. If I just touch it, I'm not getting shocked, all right? But what do we tell our kids? Do not touch the electrical outlet. It's not going to hurt them to touch it. We just said it's not going to shock them. But we add that extra law to that because we know it's going to bring them safety. If they don't touch it, then I know they're not going to stick something in it. And so we add an extra layer to that law. And that's very wise, but it can also be very dangerous. And so... Is that what's going on here? I'm not sure. But at least, you know, with the group from Wednesday nights that we've been talking about looking for observations, this is a really good observation that we should notice, that she adds this, neither shall you touch it. Because this is what happens. When she looks at that, when she looks at do not eat of the tree, God's word, right? We can clearly see that's God's word. Do not eat of the tree. Neither shall you touch it. That's a principle, that's good advice, that's wisdom. But when she puts that on level playing field with Scripture, now we have problems. Because this is what happens. Let's keep reading. Verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat, uh, eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
And this was enticing to her. There's something about this statement that attracted her, as we'll see in the next verse. Now, as Satan says to her, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And that whole idea of being like God was a, just so attracting to her, to be like God. And we all want to be like God, don't we? We all want to play God in some way. We all, we all want to be autonomous. We don't like to be told what to do. We want to make our own rules and our own way of living. But what's so fascinating about this and so troubling and at the same time is there's no true statement that he could have said to her that you could be like God. What did we just read the last two weeks? Genesis 1.28 reminds us that God created her like him, right? That she's created in his image, in his likeness. So when the serpent said to her, you will be like God if you do this, what should she have said? I don't need that to be like God. I am already like him. I am different than you. You weren't created like him. But I was. I am unique. I was fashioned. I wasn't just spoken to existence. God shaped me something beautiful. But yet she didn't trust God's word. She trusted the very thing that she had dominion over. That she should have been leading. But yet she allowed this to, uh, this pretend truth to, to deceive her. And that's what Satan, he, the Bible calls Satan a deceiver. Look at verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was uh, to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Worst day ever. Right here. And they don't even know it yet. They don't even know this is the worst day ever. And so, here's this principle I, I, I see here. I, I see in this passage this idea of, of wisdom and, and legalism. Wisdom and legalism. And it can look very wise, and we can easily make it legalism. And so legalism is when we take our own advice, um, counsel, what we call wisdom, and we put it on par with Scripture. And that's what she's doing here. She quickly became a legalist. I think it's extremely wise to, to add to... Um, you know, God's laws. And what I mean by that is, um, and that's the same thing the Pharisees were trying to do. They became legalists, though. And that's what often adding to the law will do. Uh, if you don't have the right heart, is you become legalist. And so, for the example, when I was using about the electrical outlet. Um, you know, we do that with Christian principles all the time. 
Um, something like God says, do not commit adultery, black and white, correct? But yet we will do things like we'll put a hedge around that, a little wall around that. We might say, well, it's not wise to, um, to have, for me to, have, uh, to go out to dinner with, a, with another female other than my wife. I shouldn't go alone with another female. Now, many of you would say, man, that's extremely wise. Um, that you wouldn't want to put yourself in that situation. That's just kind of dumb. Um, but realize, that's not God's word. You can't point to a verse that says, thou shalt not eat dinner with the opposite sex. If you find that, please let me know. I will correct myself next week. This is, I haven't found it in Scripture. But I think it's extremely wise. Now, here's where we've got we've to be wise. Is that's, that's wisdom. That's not Scripture. Those are great principles to live by, but you can't say God said that. Because what happens, what will happen, what happened to Eve will happen to us. So this is what happened to Eve. She said, God said, do not eat from that tree in the midst of the garden Neither shall you touch it lest you die. This is what happens when you put our godly principles, wisdom, on par with Scripture. So she's there that day, picture the garden. There's all kinds of problems with this scene. If God said not to eat of the tree, why in the world was she beside the tree, right? But that shows you our hearts anyways. Why were they beside the tree, Parents with small children, you know this answer, all right? You know, they're beside everything you tell them not to do. And so they're by the tree in this narrative. And she tells this serpent, we can't eat or touch it. Now, watch this. Watch what happens. Um, Let me use this microphone, okay? God said I should never... um, Speak or touch into this microphone. Now, if, if, if I want to speak into it, it'd be easy for me to, to hold it and to speak into it. And so to keep me from speaking to it, we may add, don't even touch it, okay? Um, that would keep me from speaking into it. But the moment I, I touch it and nothing happens to me, I begin to doubt that rule, right? Well, nothing happened to me when I touched it, so then maybe I'm able to speak in it as well and nothing will happen. Now go back to to Eve in the garden. She says, we can't even touch it, which is a great principle. That's a great principle. If God said, do not eat of that tree, a great principle would be, do not touch the tree. Because unless you just are going up to the tree and trying to like bite it off, you're never going to take a bite of that fruit, right? So to add, a, to put the hedge around the law would be don't even touch it. But this is what happens when you put that principle on par with God's word. The moment she touches it and nothing happens, she began to doubt God's word. God's not faithful. God doesn't keep his promises. And so if, if he didn't keep his promise 
with that rule, then he probably is not going to keep his promise with any of the others. So once she touched it and nothing happened, she began to doubt God, which he never commanded. She took a bite. And notice that the fall wasn't, it didn't happen yet. When she took a bite, we didn't see the fall of mankind just boom all at once. It was a collective event. It was a, it was, and then look at just the language here. It was a delight to the eyes. Whatever you treasure, that's what you're going to chase after. That's your delight. And she wanted that so badly. She desired it. She thought it would make one wise. And she ate of the fruit. And then she waited for her husband to get back from work. She waited for him because he was somewhere busy with stuff. It's not what it says, right? He was right there with her. Does that sound like a good leader? Not at all. This was Adam being a passive leader. And I think by nature, most men are passive men. And I don't know if that offends some of you men. I just, I see it all the time. Men would rather let someone else do the job for them. We just would. We're passive in our flesh. We'd rather let somebody else do it for us. And here he is not leading his family well. He should have been so far away from there. He should have gotten as far as any property that whatever the farthest he could have gone. That's where he should have been to make sure that his family was safe. He was not leading his family well. He was right there with her just watching her. Huh. I, I know God told me. And, and notice like when God speaks to us, he speaks to his word like from his word to us. God is actually speaking to Adam, saying, do not eat of this tree. And yet he's right there with his wife. And he's not loving her well. And no moment does he say, no, don't do it. I love you so much. This is going to be terrible. Doesn't, doesn't stop her at all. And just lets her lead. She takes a bite, and then she gives it to him who was with her. That phrase is so bothersome. He was right there with her, and then he ate. And then you see this changed. We saw at the end of chapter 2 that uh, the two became one flesh, and the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. And then now we see here in verse 7 that their eyes were open. They, they, they realized they were naked. And, and you just see shame upon them. They just begin to cover themselves. There was no shame prior to the fall. Can you imagine that kind of life of no shame? Because every one of us, somewhere in our minds right now, there's something that you still carry some shame and guilt over. Some decision you've made or some thought you've had where you just carry guilt and shame. There was no shame before the fall. And the moment it happens, we see shame. They're, they're covering themselves. They're hiding. So we continue. As we, and I, I just want you to see this. 
So chapter 2, we see the order that God established. In chapter 3, we see it flipped. We see creation leading the, the wife who's leading her husband, and God is under subject to all of them. Creation, the woman, the man, and God's underneath them all. The exact opposite of how he established it. And you see God coming back in verse 8, reestablishing that order. Verse 8, and they um, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man, uh, the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The, the Lord God said to the serpent. So when you see the pattern, the pattern is when, when God returns, he addresses the man first. And then he addresses the woman, even though she ate first. God is addressing the man first, and then he's addressing the woman, and now he's addressing the serpent. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat. All the days of your life I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And so verse 15 is such an important verse for us. Uh, this is where this promise child, this is the theme of this whole series, this sermon series is coming from, from Genesis 3.15, that there was a promise made, that there's going to be a child that's going to come, that God is being extremely gracious, that um, that. Their one act of disobedience messed up humanity. But yet God was going to send a child to reverse this curse back in Genesis 3. And so here's this first promise of this child coming um, right here, um, specifically in Genesis 3.15. And, and, and next week we're going we're gonna to pick back up here and finish out chapter 3. But I wanted you just to see that God was restoring this order that he has established. Um, that this one act of disobedience from Adam and Eve sent not only just humanity, but even the earth on this trajectory down. Um, just this death, this spiritual death. And I want you to see from this passage this morning, just... Just this idea of wisdom versus legalism. And I want you to be extremely careful. The, the Bible commands us to be wise because the days are evil. So we need to be wise. And I think, um, you know, Scripture isn't, uh, is not very specific in every area. And so I think we need to make these um, guardrails, these principles for us to keep us from the tree. We all have trees in our lives that we need to avoid, and uh, we need guardrails. And so I think it's wise 
for me as a married man not to have dinner alone with a woman. That's just wise. But i got to make sure I don't become legalistic with that. And there's other principles that I think are very wise principles that we have to make sure as a church and as individuals that we don't make those equal with Scripture. Okay? Because the moment you do, you become a legalist. And that's what the Pharisees did. And you'll see that when we start our series in the fall in the book of Matthew, you're going to see this principle. You're going to see how the Pharisees, they were tired of being exiled. Because God said, if you do this, then I will give you over to your enemy. And so the Hebrews and the Israelites continued to break those commandments and they would be exiled. So it makes sense that you had these people come along, these religious leaders, to, you know, make this hedge around the law. And the idea was, well, if God said, if we do this, he's going to give us over to our enemies, let's make sure that we build a wall around this law so that we will never break it. But what happened is, is they began to think that their law was God's law, and they, become, they became um, legalists. And I think far too often the church has become legalist. And, and, and we will say things like, God said, and God really never said. And there's a number of these. Could be how you dress for Sunday morning. God says be modest, okay? Well, for some people, how that in, interpret, interpretation of being modest could be a, a, a suit and tie, um, in, in other cultures, um, you, you, it's, you know, jeans, a t-shirt. But we can't say God said you must wear this clothes, these type of clothes, to Sunday morning. Where did God say that? There's principles there. We need to be modest, right? And not just modest here, modest everywhere. Modesty is a, a godly thing. Um. There's, there's all kinds of ways that if we're not careful, we become legalists. Uh, and, and, and so, understand the difference between a principle and legalism. A principle is something great for you. Just don't make it equal with God's Word. That's dangerous. Also, I want you to see from this um, passage this morning how Adam and Eve... Their one act of disobedience are the reason that we're broken today. That we inherit their sin. Uh, and, and some people have a problem with that. Uh, that they, they don't like that language, that you inherit someone else's sin. That I'm guilty because of someone else. Uh, and I think that's clearly spelled out for us in Scripture. Um, and then secondly, I, I just... Anybody who has a problem with that, I think we all have our own sin that we're guilty of anyways. And if you don't know that you have sin, just talk to somebody. Ask them. I'm sure there's a list that other people could tell you what you've done wrong, how you sin. Um, and so, this, you, you can challenge whether or not that you inherit Adam's sin. It's not a big deal because all you're doing is adding to Adam's sin. I know I've added it. I have my own sin that would cause me to be disobedient, falling away. 
What I love, though, is this one act of disobedience changed mankind. But there was another act that also changed mankind. Romans 5 reminds us of this act. This was the greatest day ever. Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and so this is talking about Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sins. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. So this law here is not talking about what God commanded them in the garden. This is talking about the law that he gave to Moses. So the law he gave to Moses um, was years after the fall of mankind. Okay, so there's years have gone by here. And there was, what he's saying, the argument here is that there was sin before the law. But sin was not counted where there was no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even over those sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one, man's Jesus, the one man Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So this is absolutely beautiful. That you see Jesus coming along, and he is the better Adam. Adam could not be obedient. He was disobedient. And his disobedience um, condemned all of mankind. Jesus, because of his active obedience, because of the way he lived his life, that he was perfect, he never sinned. And laid down his life for us. He was this, uh, he was this perfect sacrifice for us, that he made us righteous. So just as this one man's disobedience condemned us, this one man's obedience redeemed us, that we can be set free from that curse. And so I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know where you are on this journey of life. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. 
And we're going to keep singing this morning, celebrate what God has done for us. But I'm guessing in a room this size with this many people that some of you, you're still under that curse, that you've never been set free. You're, you're not redeemed. And you need to embrace Jesus this morning. You need to embrace that his act of obedience saved you. It's not going to be your obedience. You're never going to be good enough because the good enough for us is perfection. And I bet if you look around this room, if you just really search your heart, none of you are perfect. You've all sinned against God. You've all sinned against someone else. And so you are under this curse and you need to be redeemed. And Jesus Christ is offering you that redemption this morning. He's saying, receive me, embrace me, let me take that punishment for you. And so that's what you need to do this morning. You need to ask him, Jesus, forgive me for how I've lived my life. Take my sin, Lord Jesus. Make it your own, that you took it to the cross. And you can be set free this morning. You can be redeemed this morning if you would humble your heart and repent this morning and trust that Jesus is this one act of obedience, that his one act of obedience is able to save you from all of your sin, not just some of your sin, but all of your sin. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we come to you trusting that, that your death on the cross was sufficient for us, that you saved us, you've cleansed us from all unrighteousness. That you have reversed the curse. That you've taken the worst day ever. And you've made it the, the greatest day ever. And Lord, that's still the greatest day of, of my life. July 12th, 1998, when you rescued me. It may have been July 11th. I don't know how all this works, Lord. But the day you rescued me when you justified my heart, Lord. The greatest day of my life. And so, Lord, I pray that you would redeem all the messes that we've made. We've made some really dumb decisions, Lord. And I know that you are a God that can redeem every single one of them. So, Lord, may we just surrender everything to you. May you do a great work in our lives. And I pray all this in Christ's name.